This is Strange Assembly episode 200, Superhero Girls. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Jay Earl. Hello. Hey, and you may have noticed, may have noticed that our episode number today is a nice round number. Can we, can we just be slightly self-congratulatory and be like, wow, 200 episodes, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yes. So I, I did want to make sure, right, we've got Jay, the, the uh, other remaining original cast member, <laughs> crew member, yeah. whatever we call them. The, the, la- the last surviving one. <laughs> yes. No, we don't have anything particularly special planned for today. Just mostly uh, some board game, board and card game reviews uh, after our, our little intro here. But I wanted to have something, so I decided to go back to what I indulged myself in for episode 100. And episode 100 was called Wonder Woman. And in that episode, I, I sort of bemoaned the lack of representation of female characters in superhero toys, given that those are largely boys' toys, quote-unquote, by the way that they sell. And uh, I still think that is an important thing. I have... All right, I have a son and I have a daughter. And I I think the sort of importance of this representation uh, it was driven home to me again recently. My kids were engaging in this strange activity where they were looking at a a Walmart seasonal toy catalog and circling things. I, I think the idea was started out as let's circle things that people want, even though that's not at all how we shop for Christmas presents. And then they just started circling everything. I, you know, my, my wife's like, why do you, why do you need a Fitbit? I, you don't even know what that is, but, but you know, they're circling things. It's a thing to circle. Yeah. Yes. But they're going through there and my son has never really played with toy cars much. And my daughter doesn't play with them much, but she plays with them more than, than he did. And she was looking at the page in the catalog where there's this big set of, you know, some big fancy racetrack with loop-de-loops and something. And she looks at it and she says, look, two boys are allowed to play with this at a time. And because the toy catalog depicts boys playing with certain kind of toys and girls playing with other kinds of toys, like that really sends a message to our kids and right that goes beyond toys toys are just one thing of it but right when we depict certain things as being stuff that girls do and certain things as being stuff that that boys do that really affects how our kids perceive themselves and perceive gender or sex or or whatever and it's in in a lot of ways that we don't even think about, that they pick up so much from how we arrange things. And so I just think that's something important to think about. I called this episode DC Superhero Girl, or I called it Superhero Girls, because 
there actually was a line of toys launched, I think, at the beginning of this year, maybe a year ago. It was originally a Target exclusive. Now it's in more places, so yay. And it's called DC Superhero Girls, and so it is superhero toys aimed at girls and not just coated in pink. So that's a plus. I'm not sure why they ran out of heroes, so they had to make, like, some borderline villain types be heroes too, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Now, it's not optimal, right? In my sort of ideal universe, you'd be able to buy a pack of, of you know, toys or figurines that had both male and female characters represented in them, but at least now I can go to the girls' section and buy toys that depict female characters and then go to the boys' section and buy toys that depict male characters and then they can play together. Right? Because they're, they're actually allowed to play with both of them at the same time. Right. I've been pretty happy to at least have those around, and, uh, you know, maybe it's just chilling for some faceless corporation, you know? And they're only doing it to make money, but that's okay, because that's what all companies make toys to do, so you can sell them and, and, and make money with them, so... What? No. Toys are made to bring joy to little boys and girls. Totally not for the insane profits and markups that you see on nostalgia toys. Yes, yes. Well, I I, I work out I, pretty well. Right now, I, there was actually a... I, I shop at Target, and they think of their cartwheel app. They actually had and have a thing that... Uh, it's ongoing at the moment that we're recording this, which is Saturday, November 5th. You can get 40% off of them, because kids' toys are really expensive when you buy them at full price, honestly. Yeah, they are. So, I, I like to do shopping when things are like 40 or 50% off, or when they're on clearance after Christmas. And It's November 5th, so we just did Halloween clearance buying. Yep, perfect you know? time to get candy. Well, there's still lots of candy there, and it's quite cheap, but I I declined to buy more candy. But you are a better person than I am. Yes, I uh, yeah. Well, I don't know that that makes me a, a better okay. person. You're you're a thinner person than I am. <laughs> that is that is true. But you can get stuff. It's like oh well, you know oh it, they've got like a Lego Ninjago costume. Well, it's ninety percent off right now, so it's four bucks. So now my kids can dress up as Legos. It doesn't have to be Halloween to dress up. No, no, it does not. I mean, it, it maybe it does if you're a grown-up, but, you know, no, not if you're no, six. That's, that's what cons are for. It's, <laughs> it's another excuse to go dress up. I'll have to remember that. I can show up as Darth Vader at Gen Con next year, because that'll yeah. be thematic with L5R. Yes, as long as you get the Darth Vader samurai armor. <laughs> or, I, or you could do it and show, go play Star Wars Destiny. Well, that that will be long premiered. I would rather go play one of the non-collectible Star Wars Fantasy Flight games. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings was my one carryover collectible game, and it's really my intent to never do another one again. I mean, I besides, right, the Colon Informant apparently has that covered. I saw he did a review of it, so you can go look on Colon Informant, and he 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 can be your source for collectible Star Wars things. I mean, I've already got like three non-collectible miniatures games and a non-collectible card game. I'm I'm good. Do you and I realize that there is not one of that there should be? 
Hmm. There is no Star Wars deck building game. Yet. I don't know. I mean, that's... Uh, you say yet? Has Fantasy Flight made a deck build? Yes, they made Rune Age. So they yeah. could do another one. Yeah, that might be a little too encroachy on the board game license, though. Since they don't technically have the board game license, as far as I know. Yes, I believe that is still the case. But if they have a card game license, and that's a card game. True. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, so... Yeah, well, I mean, you have to make sure not to, like, you, you would probably not print, like, an actual board. Like, Marvel Legendary has the board that comes with it that shows you where all the stuff goes. You probably right. just have to make sure not to print that, but... I don't know what, because we were going to play more. I was going to play more of a legendary with with uh, one of my kids yesterday, and he was like, "Why? I want them to be. I want there to be Star Wars legendary." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> that can't happen." <laughs> I want because, that too. Well, because yeah, because one company has the Star Wars license, and legendary is a thing of another company. But there could still be a Star Wars deck building game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You have any other insights on uh? I don't know, representation of boys and girls to children or Star Wars deck building or anything else? Any other? (laughs) It's been a very special episode. Comments for number 200? I do think that we are getting better about representing superheroes. The trailer for the new Wonder Woman movie came out recently, and that looks pretty good. And the DC on TV has really bloomed, and now you've got Supergirl, and you've got The Legends of Tomorrow are pretty well balanced, so. Plus Felicity and Friends, so there's plenty of female superheroes running around these days. Felicity and Friends? Everyone wants likes to mock Arrow that it became, at some point, Felicity and Friends, rather than about the Green Arrow. Oh, okay. I don't know if it just didn't do well enough for CBS or something. I don't, but I actually kind of liked the the Supergirl one a bit more lately. Like, it gets a little grim sometimes on the mm-hmm. CW. Like, okay, Arrow, I it's always <laughs> raining at night or something. I don't. I, it was it was sort of nice to have the the sort of vibrant, bright contrast for that with Supergirl. Yes. And this comes up because, for those who don't remember, I I consumed television like a year later on Netflix. (laughs) So I just recently watched the first season of Supergirl. I think it amounts to something like the next season comes out, and coinciding with the next season coming out on TV, they release the DVD. Right. And then it shows up streaming. Yeah, try, try to get some interest for the new season, yeah. It lets you co-market them, like you're marketing your new season of the show and you're marketing the DVD of the prior year. And also true, yes. You know, people can catch up, and I don't. I guess people still buy DVDs. <laughs> I know I've got like, shelves of them, but I yeah, uh, it's just not a natural way to do it anymore. I bought on Black Friday last year. I bought a uh, Man of Steel, and I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Probably for the best. Like, if it was on Netflix, I probably would have watched it already, because that's just easy, but it mm. is. I don't know what it says, that it's like, oh, it's such a hassle, you gotta go down. I mean, it, it's actually not that it's a huge hassle to get the DVD out and or the Blu-ray and put it in, it's that I have to be at one of, like, the specific place in my house that has a Blu-ray player and sit there for two hours. Right. I can't, like, 
watch a little bit of it here and then tomorrow like watch a little bit there and pull it up on the iPod or or whatever. Right, it doesn't very few blue DVDs have the same resume easily feature and yeah, you have to physically go over there and fiddle with things and change your TV input and just 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 enough steps to make it annoying. Yeah, and it's something that I I'm not, I'm not going to watch that while the kids are around too grim. But I don't know how many people there are out there who have listened to, you know, all all this is your 200th episode of Strange Assembly uh that you've listened to, but thank you. However, I you know, I don't have any way of tracking that. <laughs> but we hope we've uh provided some uh entertainment for you over the years and we uh appreciate that you've continued to to listen. We uh we still have L5R is slated to come back soon. I imagine that uh what is it, six months out? That's usually when Fantasy Flight starts releasing more really hyping yeah. information about it. So maybe February of next year we can Jay and I can do an emergency podcast. <laughs> oh my god, they released the first article. It tells us absolutely nothing, but it's still there. Yes, I know, but right there, yes, right we're gonna have an episode where we're like, okay. We read the first press release, and this is what we think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know nothing, but let's go. <laughs> let's let's see how much we can analyze from, like, the one picture of a card that they put up. Right. Oh, man, Rattlings are back. It's awesome. You would think that was awesome, but that seems highly unlikely. But, yes. But they may say, they may say something. I, uh... Yeah. I mean, well, like, for example, let's look at a picture of a card. Does this look at all like the same game as it was before? Because I think there's a good chance. I I think it'll probably be a complete do-over. Completely detached from from what it was before. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this stage, I'm mostly interested of how much continuity story-wise they're going to do. Will they do a a reset back to Imperial era story? Will it be entirely new and different? I mean, you know, pure speculation, but that's, that's what I'm currently interested in. Obviously, mechanics-wise, I'm expecting a, a big shake-up. Just, if for nothing else, than just the, the way LCG works versus CCG works. Yeah, I have this uh, this hope that L5R as a thing does well enough for them that it can be like Android or the Arkham Horror Files where they they don't just have this core LCG, but they have other games that are set in the universe, and where, right, like, both of those other lines, they're getting some, like, fiction, like, novel support. Yeah. When there was, there was the, the Android, the, I forget what exactly they called it, but it was, like, their design Bible, story Bible, where it had... It was originally an internal document of keeping track of all the story, but then they were like, hey, we bet other people would like this too, so they made it into a very beautiful book full of the art that they had, and they sold it, and that would be a cool thing to see for L5R2. Yeah, and they just announced, well, I don't know if they just announced it, but they have on pre-order right now an Arkham Horror Files version of that. Mm-hmm. Which I'm substantially less interested in, unsurprisingly, than L5R, but... Because I've seen these characters enough now over <laughs> right, <laughs> all, these exactly. fa- <laughs> all these fantasy flight games, they'd be like, hey, why not? Yeah, so still looking forward to that. 
I don't think we'll ever go back to a purely L5R setup, but uh, hopefully we will be able to go back to some of what we used to do where, you know, we can have a new force pack or whatever they data pack, whatever they call the <laughs> L5R ones, honor packs, I don't know. You know, and how like, oh, let's let's talk about what the new cards are. Like an old set review episode, except much more manageable, because it's only yeah, like exactly. 20 cards at a time. Yeah, exactly. A set, an actual set review, because it'll only be 20 cards, so we can actually do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Okay. We got five games to review here, so... You have a food theme to your 3J, and I don't think mine really have a theme, but hey, what do you have teed up for us first? Alright, so first off I have Wasabi! Yes, it has an exclamation mark, so you have to pronounce it that way. Anyway, Wasabi is a tile-laying game where basically you've got a board that is the sushi mat, and on each player's turn, they're laying out tiles of different sushi ingredients, like rice or salmon or tempura or the vegetables or what have you. And then each player also has some number of recipe cards that are hidden. And the goal is in this grid to make in a line the piece of sushi you've got. So like you may be making a salmon roll that needs rice, salmon, and cucumber all in a row. So once you accomplish that, you score points for completing the recipe. And the game basically lasts until the board is filled up. So it, it very much is a strategic game of how can I accomplish my recipe without being blocked in. Also importantly is when you do complete a recipe, there's a couple of action cards that you can take such that instead of playing out an ingredient for your turn, you can do things like remove an ingredient from the board or swap ingredients or place an ingredient on top. So it's uh, two to four players. It's designed by Josh Capel and Adam Gertzbein and published by uh, Z-Man Games. I quite like it. It's I only played it two-player. It's good two-player little dual battle. I would imagine with more players you get into more contentiousness fighting over trying to be able to actually make your recipes. Whereas with two, there's a lot more room for planning and less blocking maneuvers. Okay. Well, last episode, you may recall, I I went back in time and and did a negative review of a 2008 game. This time, I'm going to do a review of a 2006 game, and I'm going to do a negative review, but they're not of the same game. So... Let's start with the 2006 game, The Pillars of the Earth. The reason why this game has not been re-released since 2006 is that The Pillars of the Earth is a novel, which I have never heard of outside of the context of this game, uh, by <laughs> Ken Follett, I guess. Uh, and something about, you know, it was about building a cathedral. I'm sure there were all sorts of personal conflicts in the book that have no relationship to the game. But the the theme of the game is also building a cathedral. It's a worker placement, and the turn unfolds in basically three stages. And the first is players are, use workers to take turns picking the resource cards. You know, if, you're, if I'm first, I might say, well, okay, I'm going to use 
I'm going to take the card that costs two of my workers and produces two sand, or I'm going to take the card that costs ten of my workers and produces four stone. You do that, and those that generates your resources. Then you do a phase where you each player has three maester tokens and or or workers, whatever you want to. I mean, the first ones are literally called workers. The the workers, the the different kind of quote unquote worker for the second phase is maesters, and these guys are going to do various things around the town that are effectively support work for your contribution to the construction of the cathedral. And there are spots where you can hire craftsmen, and there are spots where you can earn privileges. There are spots where you can maybe protect yourself from the event that flips up each turn. You can go to a spot to make yourself exempt from taxes. You can Go to the priory and earn victory points for praying. And and you can, you can go to a market where you can sell or or buy resources. And then the third part is really craftsmen. And so what the craftsmen do is they turn the resources that you've collected into victory points by, you know, essentially if you have a carpenter, he is he uses wood to get victory points, which represents, you know, your wood and your craftsmen contributing to the construction of the cathedral. There's actually this uh, nice little wooden cathedral that you build as a turn track, essentially, in the middle of the board. Unfortunately, how quickly the cathedral is built has no relationship to um, how much anyone's contributing to the cathedral. But But the way that you assign those maester workers when they're going out there is they get pulled out of a bag. It's not standard turn order. So whoever comes out first, you have the option of either paying seven coins, which is quite a lot, and then you can assign your guys normal to whatever spot that you want to, or you can pass, in which case you go to the back of the line with that worker. And then the price ticks down to six, and you pull another worker out, and so on, you know, down to one, and then until it gets to to zero for the last array of guys. So you often kind of don't want to be pulled out first because it's really expensive. But if you get pulled out very last, that's not great either. It's often sort of aiming to be like, well, if I get pulled out at three, I'm happy to pay that to go where I want at that point. You know, sometimes you uh, you might want to come out at seven. It might be worth it to you to go for that. I mean, money's not worth anything at the end of the game. I mean, it's a tiebreaker, but you know, you'd rather just maximize your victory points in the first place. But I I like this one. Uh, it had a little bit of a Stone Age sort of feel to it, and I like Stone Age. It's it's uh, more complicated than Stone Ages. I wouldn't you wouldn't want to use it as an introductory. It had a pretty good feel. The mechanisms all work together really well. The big problem with it is that it's well out of print because it you know it's got this license attached to it. It was originally done by Mayfair, and they'd have to go back and re-up for the license, which is probably not actually worth anything right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, maybe it was a deal when the game came out 10 years ago, but may, maybe it is a deal still, but it's, to the best of my knowledge, it's not, you know, some ongoing uh, thing that people are into. Getting the game is really more expensive than one might like. Getting the expansion is outrageous, so don't don't even worry about that. But still... Uh, a nice one to check out if you have the the opportunity. You know, if you've got a buddy who's who's got this one, I think it's a, a pretty good one to get to the the table. That's the the Pillars of the Earth, designed by uh, Michael Rennick and uh, Stefan Stadler.
Number two food game from you, Jay. All right. So my next game is Hey Waiter. Again, exclamation mark, important. This is a game where it's two to four players, and every player is basically, you're, you're a busboy. Your goal is to serve out all of your dishes. When you start the game, you pull out a random stack of poker chips that represent the dishes that you need to serve, and you put them into a stack. And then there's, if I remember correctly, four different colors representing the different dishes that are out. So you make this this stack of dishes, and then the way you get it served is you have a hand of cards. Every card is one of the four colors. When you play on your turn, you play two cards together. The card on the left tells you what action you're going to do, and the card on the right tells you what color it's going to affect. For instance, one of the cards is to serve. So if I serve red, then every stack that is out that has a red dish on top, that red dish gets served. You also have the avail- uh, the other three actions are to split a stack. So you take your one giant stack and you make it into two, or you take one of your two and make three and so forth. Or you can also... There, there's a cover, four covers like you would see on a fancy, elegant dinner that are plastic, one for each color, where you can move that, and basically that's, that's a block. You can move it to block another player so they can't serve food off of their stack. It's mostly just a game of clever play, playing interaction of serving your food out without helping your opponents out, letting them serve out their things, and trying to block them. It's a nice, quick, light game. Uh, I quite enjoyed playing it. As you can tell, it's not that complicated. It's, yeah. So I I would recommend it if you just want a nice, light, quick game. It's got lots of nice colors. It's relatively straightforward. You could probably do it with your kids. So that's Hey Waiter. Designed by Anthony Rubbo and published by R&R Games. I'm curious. So, since these both had exclamation points, is it like, did, did, is it ever since Jacques you feel drawn to games with excla- exclamation points in the title? It's not just Jacques, but you know, who doesn't like a good exclamation mark? And you have, you have to, you know, acknowledge it and and enunciate it correctly. Yes, Achtung Cthulhu. I think there's exactly. an exclamation point in that. Yeah. You, you get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I already uh, telegraphed where we're going to end up with uh, my next review. But the second game that I wanted to talk about is Guilds of London. And I'd like to know... Wait, so I'm, I'm guessing that you could probably play all three of your games twice in the time that it takes to play one of my games. <laughs> probably, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had to, we actually had the unusual circumstance of here. We had to cut Jay down. I'd be like, yeah, Jay, you got too many games. We got, I, I don't have that many <laughs> new interesting things to talk about. Save them for next episode. So, Guilds of London uh, is a, a 2016 release from Tasty Minstrel Games designed by uh, Tony Boydell. And in Guilds of London, you, I actually don't know what you represent, but thematically, the game is about the shock development of various guilds in London, which represent are represented by tiles that surround this central guild hall, 
and the guild is formed when there are enough liverymen, which are the player meeples, on the guild. And how many you need depends on the guild. You know, the there's lots and lots of different tiles. So there's all sorts of narrow guilds. But, you know, so, some of them are kind of, you know, the Shipmaker's Guild, and some of them are the guys who make this particular kind of curtain guild. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I mean, we don't we didn't even look at the names of the guilds when we were playing. I'm just imagining that being the name on their storefront, the guys who make that particular kind of curtain <laughs> LLC. Yes. And so a guild scores when there are, yeah, there's a certain number of workers on it, and whoever is winning the guild gets a, a fixed reward that's printed on there, and then whoever is in second place gets a, mostly gets a random reward. It's, I, there's a token, so you know what it is, but it's gonna vary from game to game. There's a set of random second place tokens. And, so how, how do you get liverymen on guilds? How do you score? How do you get the guilds to the place where they're gonna score? Well, you start the game with six cards in your hand, and by default you'll get another two every turn. Everything that you do is driven by the cards. You can discard any card to get a liveryman who goes in the guild hall where he doesn't do anything yet. You can discard a card of one of the five colors to move a liveryman to a guild of that color. All of the guilds have at least one color. Some of them have two. A few special ones have four. Or you can play a card for the action on the card. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes there's a cost. And if there's a cost, and the cost is either one or two for the most part, if there's a cost, and you pay that by discarding other cards out of your hand to generate the ability. So everything is based on on playing these cards out of your your hand. And if you also, if you do nothing on your turn, you say, I just, I don't have anything good to do this turn, then you get to draw four cards at the end of your turn instead of two. So if you're playing a two-player, which is, I, I think, how a lot of the, the videos online are, two-player, everything starts out. That's not how it works with three or four players. You only start with ten of the tiles out, and then more come out as the game goes on. And when you when you score guilds, you'll get rewards like moving... The rewards tend to be moving guys around, or you might be able to earn neutral liverymen, and what the, these neutral pieces do is when a guild is going to score, the players can use neutral liverymen to replace the player-aligned liverymen that are there there. So let's say there's a guild that requires three guys on it to score. I've got two, you've got one. Well, maybe I don't want you to get the second place point. So I replace your guy with a neutral liverymen. Now you have nothing, and so I get first place, nobody gets second. Or... Maybe I have two and you have one, but you can replace one of mine with the neutral liverman and you have the tiebreaker because you control the guild next door and that's what the tiebreaker is. Orthogonally adjacent guilds. When you score a guild, one of your liverymen who helped you to, you know, get control of that guild at its founding stays on top of it to show that you control it. So, the overall structure of the game Sounds good. I personally am not a fan of of some of the area control things. I know other people are, where it's an it's such an enormous deal. Like right, winning a guild or not, getting second or not, getting 
and I'm never super fond of area control mechanisms where the person who goes last then has this incredible ability to just kind of jump around and just go barely over or barely under, and where, like, the difference of one figure can make or break an entire turn or series of turns. But, you know, that's kind of inherent to how this goes, and and so I, I don't know that that's really a detraction from the game in general. There was some, in general, a little bit of randomness with not having the right colors. We had some turns when there's a lot of guilds out there, there's a lot of options of what to do with your cards. Some turns we get to where, like, there's only two guilds left that haven't scored. So if you have cards that don't, and you probably don't need more liverymen, and if you have cards that then don't match the colors of those guilds, you just may not have any ability to move to them. Yeah, I mean, that that happens... You know, that happened a little bit. That wasn't too bad. That'd be fine. If if that was all it was, that, that it might might still be be fine. And they kind of... And they balance out a little bit, even. Because the, the player who is going last every turn and gets that real advantage in where to set things up is the person who's got lowest in victory points. So that kind of counteracts the way that you can, like, get set up by, well, if I win this skill, not only do we get the rewards for that but then it also acts as a tiebreaker for later ones. And then there are also cards that I can only use their ability if I control so many guilds or guilds of certain colors. You know, that sort of thing. The iconography is pretty dense, but we, by the time we got done with our first game, we were most of the icons, you could look at them and do it, but we did actually make sure to print out in advance like a list of what all the 120 cards did because the the, the aid that comes with the game is not great. But, but, the thing that drove me crazy about this game, and probably the emotional response to I had it, I mean, it, it, it may be, you know, outsized for what the impact was, but it, it drove me crazy and made it so that I would never want to play this game again. And that is that this is a game that is everything that you can do in the game is based on cards in hand. It's based on cards, right? Nothing, you can do nothing without cards. And there are cards that just say free, draw two cards, free, draw three cards, free, draw four cards. And wow. so you would have one player who would like play a card that was going to say at the end, they're almost all end of turn draw, but normally you have to decide if I play out all my cards now, all I'm going to have next turn is two. And then I can choose to basically skip my next turn to draw back up to six, but then I've skipped my next turn. But then you'd have some other player who'd be like, um, I'll start by playing a card that's going to let me draw four cards at the end of the turn, and then I'll just drop my entire hand, and then at the end of the turn I'll draw back up and I'll have six cards again for next turn. And you, uh, you spent your entire hand, so now you get two. So you basically can do nothing on your next turn. And that drove me crazy because it, I feel like at this stage of gaming, if you are making a game that is driven by cards, you should understand that free card draw is broken. Yeah. It is completely unbalanced when some people get it and some people don't, especially when if you have all the card draw, you are more likely to just keep drawing more of it. It was infuriating to me. And I don't know. And that's, so that's that. I mean, they, if that was not there, the game would probably be fun. But that aspect of the game just drove me up the wall. So, I know a lot of people like this. I would never want to touch this again. 
because that drove me so crazy. It was Guilds of London. Come on, be more cheerful for our last one. Okay, so last one I've got is Cuisine a la Carte. Sadly, no exclamation mark on that one. At first blush, it's a fairly standard middle row deck builder where, you know, you, you buy cards out of the middle row that's slowly refilling from a deck and you use that to do whatever you're going to do and you add them to your deck. Where it gets interesting, so the theme, as you can probably guess from Cuisine a la Carte, is that you're making meals. So your starter deck is things like tasting spoons and forks, and so there's some amount of cutlery or tools in that you have available to you, but most of the cards in the deck are different ingredients. And then each of the ingredients hails from a different cuisine, like Italian or French or Asian. Basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get together, it's mostly set collection of you're trying to make a dish. You're trying to make a really tasty dish. And then, so, on your turn, you can either go to the market, buy cards that are in the middle row, and add them to your deck. Or you can present a dish to one of the judges. There's a, several different judges available that each have different standards of what sort of thing they're looking for, how many points, or special things like one of the judges might really like Asian food, so you get a bonus to scoring them if you have Asian food. But so you present a dish to them, and then all of the cards that are involved in the dish get removed from game because you've served that, and you start over again. Also importantly, it has what it calls the warming tray, which is a very important part of this, of you can put one card each turn out in the warming tray, and basically it sits there until you use it in a dish. And so in that way, you're able to slowly accumulate out enough cards of the the same cuisine type to be able to make a good enough dish to impress one of the judges to score some points. Again, after that, it's a fairly standard deck builder where you try to get points, and as soon as somebody gets enough points, the game ends. But I, I quite enjoyed the... I mean, I like deck builders in general, and I quite enjoyed the theme of this, of you're trying to make dishes, and then the, the color matching where some things... So, like, an ingredient might be worth two points towards scoring this judge, but if but it's an Italian sausage, and if you're making an Italian dish where all of your ingredients are Italian, now it's worth five points towards impressing this judge. So it's got a lot of that where you can use things, but if you can get the synergy going well, you're going to do even better in the game. So if you like deck builders, I would definitely recommend checking it out. If you don't like deck builders, obviously it's not the game for you. That's Cuisine a la Card for two to four players, designed by Danny Demarest and published by In Motion. Well, there you have it. There's our... Uh thoughts on life and episode 200 such as they were five new reviews I don't know, do we have any anything else to uh, cover before we sign off here Jay remember remember the 5th of November the something I don't remember it anymore I should have googled you should have remember remember the 5th of November the gunpowder treason and plot I know of no reason why the gunpowder 
powder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fox and his companions did scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels laid below to prove old England's overthrow, but by God's providence him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James' sake. If you won't give me one, I'll take two, the better for me and the worse for you. A rope, a rope to hang the Pope, a pen worth of cheese to choke him, a pint of beer to wash it down, and a jolly good fire to burn him. Ola boys, ola boys, make the bells ring. Ola boys, ola boys, God save the king. Yeah, I, I as a Catholic, I have to object to murdering the Pope, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all I remember is right after that, he blows up the Mott Bailey while wearing the Guy Fox mask, and Natalie Portman's there for some reason. Well, that's an actual English folk song, in addition to its use in V for Vendetta. Yes, I know. I'm I'm being willfully <laughs> obtuse. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyhow, you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can download more episodes of the podcast there, or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or other fine pod catching services. We are on the usual social media sites. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can check in with me. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com if you have any comments, criticism, or other feedback you'd like to give. But until then, for J. Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Podcast is nigh. Well, I thought we were going to get a squeak for classes. You know, <laughs> it's the classic. Fair enough. Squeak. There. Are you happy now? I am. Okay. Good. Sometimes it's the little things. <laughs> little squeaks.